Okay, with director Andrea Kramer and producer Sarah Elizabeth Porter, Horseshoe Crabs, how a 350 million year old sea creatures are vital to human survival. That's quite the title. That's kind of a scary title. Like are you try, you want to scare people into, into <laughs> thinking that we need these sea creatures to, to, uh, to be prosperous for order for us humans to be alive, I guess? Well, for me, I think that it's less about scaring people, but really highlighting just how critical this species is. Yeah. Um, it's something that jumped out at me, you know, during the, the actual feedback part of the, the film festival and, and watching people's reactions is that it's not necessarily an animal that I think most people are familiar with. I think I'm one of the weird ones that just has always liked horseshoe crabs. Yeah. Um, I'm a big nature dork. So even though I, think I was if you living pull it, people, I think maybe less than 5% would know. I'm just saying subjectively, right. yeah. 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 And people were surprised. I would say New Yorkers were surprised to learn how many are actually in New York City. But most people aren't necessarily going to some of the, the random beaches and the places that you would find them. So you could live in New York your whole life and it's possible you would just never see one. But, you know, highlighting that they are so critical to human survival and also other um, animals that we share the planet with. There's, I think, this this drive and this sense of urgency to, to really shed a light on just how important they are and why there is a need for conservation. And yeah, and that's what your, that's what your film is about. It's uh, six minutes long and it, it's, it's an entertaining, but it's impactful. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so amazing. Like how these animals like bees, for example, which we need them to order for humans to survive. It's like the old analogy where like, the world's going to be okay. The world's going to be around for millions of years. It's just maybe us humans are not going to be around in a million years, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. I wanted to add that, like, I think the, the, how old these species are makes them just so much more provocative to cover yeah. because it's like, it's like being around dinosaurs that are still living. So um, that's just kind of what makes them a more unique species than, you know, your average uh, squirrel in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay so tell me about the process so uh, of making this film so was it was it six minutes or like under 10 minutes like the agenda that you guys wanted to to tell like just make it short and sweet to make sure you get in get out and kind of tell your story that way we were thinking it would be like a mid-form uh length piece in terms of just focused on horseshoe crabs and focused on some of the folks that are working in the conservation around that. And we didn't feel like, mm. and also just like with the two of us, like a, you know, a 25 minute documentary didn't yeah. sound like we, we would have to develop a lot more scenes around that and, and other storylines to consider. But I think this felt like the right amount of time to give some depth to what we were telling, you know, and I know, you know, if it was short form one and a half to two minutes, I felt like we wouldn't be able to cover what we wanted to cover and uh you know do the you know don and christine we wanted to have some depth with those interviews yeah 100 percent. it's very it's an interesting film like it's a film right it, it just starts off with a bang where you're like you're giving the the audience information about horseshoe crabs and you're showing them where they they, they exist on the map but you're also giving them kind of a backstory of what it occurs and then and then we get into to the right like we literally get into the into the the ocean and like and you're showing us like the audience like these crabs so i'm just curious did you guys write like a script 
before you started filming? Like, did you know, like a plot point? Like, did you know exactly where you wanted to go? Or did you just like go out and like shoot some stuff and then kind of figure it out in an editing room? I think there's a little bit of both, right, Andrea? And Andrea's the the real um, production genius. And it, it was really fun collaborating on the script together. But I think, you know, we knew there were certain scenes we wanted to capture. And then a lot of the actual scripting for the voiceover came later. You know, but we knew we wanted to, like, go out, you know, with some some local heroes. We wanted to get on the beach. We wanted to actually film um, the tracking and monitoring I actually didn't know the night that we went out that I would be given a drill <laughs> to actually do some of the tagging. That was a first for me. But again, that data goes to the Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, but yeah, I think just really having those visual elements to show people like, you know, this is what you share your city with and this is why their their blood is so important. And I would say Sarah, Sarah's like in her free time, she's been more involved in like environmental volunteerism. So I didn't even know that there was like a monitoring and tagging thing. So some of the things that she had already known that existed in New York helped us figure out what scenes we wanted to to film. Um, and, you know, we scripted it after, but we knew we wanted to interview Don and we knew we wanted to go to a tagging event. So Don, you're, is it Don Reap? Is that his last yeah. name? So yeah. interest, obviously interesting character of uh, mm -hmm. uh, for a, a short film. So where did you find, how did you guys, where did you guys meet him originally? I met him years ago, actually, and he probably didn't remember me, but it was probably like six or seven years ago. It was uh, through the Littoral Society. They were doing an event down in Jamaica Bay in Queens, and they were doing a, a horseshoe crab event where you could show up and they would show you the horseshoe crabs on the beach because it was during the mating season in May and June where there's just thousands of them. Actually, I dragged my partner <laughs> who had a car because it's the only way to get down there. Another reason that I think a lot of New Yorkers, you know, aren't going to run into a horseshoe crab is where they are yeah. tends to be pretty far from, you know, public transportation because you have to get down to the water. And that's when I met Don the first time. So when Andrew and I were talking, like, whose voices do we want to include? He's kind of the guy in the New York area that really has led the charge. Um, him and his organization and really helping, you know, fight for policies that just didn't exist several decades ago. You know, there were no limits on how many horseshoe crabs could be taken from the wild, whether it be for bait or for the biomedical industry. Um, something that we've gotten a lot of feedback on, positive feedback has been when uh, Eddie the Egret um, <laughs> made an appearance. I hear yeah. that from so many people and that bird just walks in. <laughs> as he does every day during the interview. I, I remember Andrea saying, we have to include that. We cannot take that out. Yeah. Yeah, Don, I just, Don is kind of an amazing character. Like everything about the way he lives, he lives in this like little house on the Rockaways, like literally on the water. He tells us it floods multiple times a year. He, it was pouring when we came in, he leaves the door open, this egret comes in. Mm -hmm. His whole house is filled with like, marine sea life um he's just a very interesting character there was something else about him i was gonna say but um that he has a really yeah like i'm just curious like the where you interviewed him i guess that was his office you interviewed him in his it office it was like his office which was attached to his kitchen i mean it's a really cool <laughs> like old kind of bunker looking cabin on the water <laughs> 
So the staging of the interview is really profound because it's like you're you're getting away from the water, but you're like kind of showing who he is in a nutshell by by he's got papers and he's got uh, you know yeah. he's close you can see he's close to the ocean all the time and and uh, he's this very casual guy. In terms of the interview itself, did you like uh, how long did you did you talk to him and like did it did it take a lot to get going or like did he just was a natural person in front of the camera? I don't remember how long we were there. Yeah, it was go probably for it, like Andrea. a forty-five minute interview. We were planning to go out, maybe even like on the boat with him. It, it was raining that day, so I actually think we met up with him twice. Um, I, I do know that it was kind of challenging filming the interview because, you know, we were kind of doing this kind of scrappy. We got some lights, but not the best of lights, and it was raining, so it was like it was pouring outside, and then it would get sunny and pouring, and so. That was just a slight challenge to the interview. But uh, I think he was, I don't recall, I think he was pretty eloquent and didn't take long for him to start getting into the meat of things. And you could sense his passion immediately. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it just flowed naturally because he's devoted so much of his life to environmental um, conservation, you know, in the New York City area. Um, and he's good at it. He knows what he's talking about and yeah. he's a dedicated advocate. And it's interesting when you like when you do documentaries when you're interviewing a um, an expert and when they care so much it's like it's a, immediately the audience starts to care too right like if they care then yeah it's a, it's like a subconscious thing it's like we're so right. invested in what he has to say and then the other person you interviewed uh, Christine Neely she's a she's a teacher yeah yeah sorry I was gonna say one more thing when we were at Don's he uh, this was kind of funny we were there and one of his like associates came by with an injured turtle in a box. I was that, just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish we had included it. We were like, this is another storyline because he like works in turtle rehabilitation. Yeah. And I can't remember, right. like a truck had run over it or something, yeah. but yep. it just yep. highlighted like how pivotal he is to like conservation in New York City with a lot of different marine life. Did he fix the turtle? <laughs> Did he heal the turtle? They, so it had bandages on it. I remember she brought it over. Yeah, one of his colleagues. And yep, they were bandaging it up because it did. It was hit by a car. Um, that's something that happens a lot also during the season. Yeah. And yeah, so just, you know, an average day. For but I think they had to team. send the turtle to a like rehabilitation center up the Hudson. I mean, I don't think they specialize mm. in turtle rehab themselves. Yeah. Okay. And the, the interesting thing about... Um, him is that like you said he like New York, we're like it's kind of like in the shadows of New York City he leaves his door open um as you said and then like a bird comes in it's like that's not what your mental thinking is of what New York City is I guess right like it's just so interesting that this this person yeah. and he's just he's probably out there doing something profound as we speak I guess right yeah, and I think that um, really highlights the the impetus the, um, for this piece and this series we're developing is I've become so interested in nature and urban environments. I feel like that's a story that's just not often told, especially when you look at, you know, what nature shows are out there in documentaries. Yeah. But we share like our literal backyard with so many species. I think most people are surprised to learn that there are seahorses in the East River. Yeah. There are whales right off the coast of Brooklyn and Queens. We're working on a second piece about the whales in New York City. Yeah, 
what was incredible was going out on the boat. You're looking at Coney Island on one side of the boat and a humpback whale on the other. Wow. Um, we're also going to be focusing on the oysters and the local organizations that are bringing back the oyster population. New York City had the majority of the world's oysters, you know, a uh, hundred years ago. That's not the case now. But there's just such an interesting storyline um, that, that is woven through places like New York that yes. you wouldn't necessarily think. You think of it as a, a concrete jungle, not a place yes. where we have wildlife. You also think that like the Hudson River or whatever is like, it's, you think of pollution too, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, like millions oh, definitely. of people on the island, right? So like, that's not like, that cannot obviously cannot be good for the, for the creatures who are living in those places too, right? So. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's just a little bit like sad, you know what I mean? In, in many ways. So, okay. So then Christine, Christine Neely, so she's a teacher. Yes. So you guys, so the second interview and she kind of like was on the, on the ground and she was kind of like educating um, the audience from a, from, I guess, from a, a younger generation or in like, or from a, from an academic uh, standpoint, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's so, a or, teacher, oh, but she's also a volunteer. So, like, I don't actually think that these were her students. They might have been former students or they heard about it from one person who invited another because, like, she she does this for a separate organization. Um, I think it's through Cornell, if I remember correctly. So there's, yes, a couple different organizations. Audubon Society is also one of the big ones that every year, um, which May and June, when the horseshoe crabs spawn and breed, they organize volunteer groups, which is how I got into this world was just by being a volunteer six or seven years ago, where you go out usually in the evenings and you track and monitor them. You have these interesting things called quadrats or these big squares with um, like PVC piping and you put them down every X amount of feet and then you like count how many horseshoe crabs are in there. And they have a very scientific process about how in one area you have a sense of about how many horseshoe crabs there are. And then you compare that to the years past. So that's how they're able to track if their numbers are going up or if their numbers are in decline. And yeah. Christine was mm -hmm. part of one of those, um, those sessions that take volunteers out, whether it be students, um, the nights I went in the past were mostly adults who wanted to strap on some rubber boots and a headlamp and yeah. go count horseshoe crabs at 10 PM. <laughs> It was really cool. I was like, this is a part of, it was a part of New York I'd never been to. It was a very fun activity. I mean, we were filming mm -hmm. it, but I was, it was an adventure. So the, it was. The, the, the big reveal in the film is that the blue blood from the, from the creatures is, is, is helping to, is critical development of the COVID vaccines right which if you pull 100 people zero people would would know that right so which is so interesting because it's like why don't we know that and, and it's also like a good analogy of like we're taking from something for order for humans to be better but then in the so from the from the in the moment but from like 20 years from now or in the future we're actually harming them in a sense right we're harming our future for our present kind of like you know, safety or comfort or kind of uh, health, I guess, right? Which is amazing, which is such an interesting story. That's a, that's a huge, that's like a feature documentary right there, what you just exposed. Yeah, I mean, I know that the labs that do take the blood, they, they supposedly, uh, you know, try not to 
kill the horseshoe crab in the process of taking the blood. They try to take just the, the yeah. amount of blood to allow them to keep surviving. But the reality is, is that doesn't always happen and yeah. that some do die in this process. So there's, there Imagine is. Imagine people are picking, progging us, right? Taking our blood, like without us wanting to, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So there's a, there is um, some drive to create synthetic blood of horseshoe crabs. Um, I'm, I don't know what the status of that is right now, but I know it's something that science is, is working to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons films like this are so important is, you know, you don't, you can't know what you can't see. So the fact that this animal is mostly underwater, most people just aren't familiar with them because there's not that many opportunities to see them in addition to their habitat shrinking because of coastal development and the, lo the loss of the, the beaches that they come to. Mm. But if people just have more of an understanding of what this animal is and why it's important and why we care about it for not only our own survival, I, I think hopefully there'll be just a little more awareness and a little more interest in, okay, you know what, we maybe selfishly, but we got to make sure that this animal, you know, doesn't, doesn't go extinct. Yeah, 100%. So we gave the audience, uh, we, you, you alluded in the, in the beginning where we sent you the audience feedback video. Uh, what did you think about their reactions to your film? I, I loved it. I really enjoyed watching the, the feedback. And I think something that just kept jumping out for me was there was sort of a similar narrative of, I didn't know about this animal. <laughs> I had no idea about their blood being used in the development of vaccines especially now with, with COVID, they've gotten more attention. And I think one woman said she, as a kid, you know, she saw them, they're scary because they do look like weird aliens or swimming helmets. They are a bizarre animal that hasn't changed in 400 million years. Yeah. But hearing her change her mind and be like, oh, okay, you know what? I don't find this to be like a frightening alien. This is actually something really interested, interesting that I'd like to learn more about. Yeah. So we're changing hearts and minds. We're trying to do a PR campaign for yeah. the horseshoe crab. Yeah, 100%. Maybe it's, it needs a new name. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the word that stuck out to me when, re when listening to the reviews was informative and educational. And I think I'm glad that we were able to share about this species in a clear way where people were felt like they could learn it and um you know i think i think that was our goal like educate yeah. and inspire and hopefully you know also build try to build activists that are like interested in marine life and marine life conservation and so you guys said that yeah. you're making you guys in the middle of making another film right now we yes. are <laughs> we um we've are we've pretty much shot it all it's uh as sarah had mentioned earlier it's about the water in New York City um, and how lately it's gotten cleaner. So there's been more uh, a type of fish called manhaden that have returned to the waters that are part of what's bringing back the, the humpback whales and other whale species. And also the work of oysters to as a as a filter for the water. So it helps helps it helps clean like kind of the surface of the water a bit more, which is also helping um, fish and whales come back it's all part of the same ecosystem so mm -hmm. uh yeah this next segment is really about some of the work that people are doing in whale and oyster 
um, rehabilitation and, and cleaning up our waterways. That's amazing. And so uh, we love this. I love to see this film. And I just want to finish yeah. off talking about the horseshoe crab kind of uh, campaign. I think so. I was reading some blog the other day, a nature blog, and someone was talking about horseshoe crabs being the most successful animal in the history of mankind where it's like it's it's been around for you said 400 million years some could argue a little bit longer and it's like it just keeps it's 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 still around it's like after yeah. all, so it's that's like a good campaign to, to talk about horseshoe crabs like like we're there we're still around after all these years yeah and unchanged and unchanged I, mean, I think that's what's so interesting too is like it's a good it's a good design. Let's keep them around, you know, for another 350 yeah. million years. So I have, right. a, I have a three-year-old son who's obsessed with dinosaurs, but I'm going to get him mm. obsessed with horseshoe crabs now. So. Oh, yes, please. I love hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> they're still around, but their existence can be tenuous. So I, I think yeah. it's part of the reason why we wanted to highlight them is because, you know, coastal development, the taking the blood, um, overfishing of them. Uh, for you know, for certain species of of other fish, they feed they feed these horseshoe crabs. Yeah, uh, th those are those you know can threaten the population. So mm -hmm. they are around, and we want them to continue being around. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, it's a great film, great six minutes. I would love to see your next films, and I wish yeah. you guys the best. Uh, you guys are already accomplished individuals in the field, so I uh, love to like keep you get some keep this series going and educate people, and and I wish you guys the best of luck. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciated this opportunity. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemizel, Hassenbemp Incorporated.